So I started out this morning and I said, if you'd come to church with an expectation for God to move and do anything, there's no end to what he could do and he could just blow your mind. He really could. And something that happened for me in my own heart while I was away was just falling deeper and deeper in love with the Holy Spirit and, and finding myself in a place of repentance again and again and again where I've done anything in my life um, outside of him. Do you know that there's nothing in the Christian life outside of the Holy Spirit? There's n- there is no Christian life outside of the Holy Spirit. You don't get to be a Christian outside of Him. You cannot be Christ-like without the Spirit of Christ. And I said this before, God's not looking for your attempt at Christ-likeness. He's not looking for your best shot at being like Jesus. He's looking for His Jesus in you. That comes through the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Galatians. My mom and dad send their love. They love you and miss you. I took a quick, they asked me for like little videos and things, you know. So I took a little clip for them. Yeah. Book of Galatians, and we'll just read, to start off with, we'll read chapter 3 from verse, probably verse 13. Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning and we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you would move and do what only you can do. Do whatever you want to do, Lord. Thank you, God. Okay, we're going to read this scripture, then I'm going to unpack something, and then we're going to read all of Galatians. (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, We're going to read a bunch more scriptures. Chapter 3, verse 13, Galatians 3.13, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified. It says, Christ purchased our freedom. (laughs) Let's do that again. Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might also come to the Gentiles so that we would all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Maybe we, let's slow it down. Christ purchased our freedom. Yeah, right? Christ purchased, paid for, done, sealed, delivered. It's yours. Freedom. He purchased your freedom, and He redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation. How do you know you're free? How do you know you're free? How do you worship? How do you know you've been delivered? How do you know you've been set free from all the stuff? What does your worship look like? Israel was was delivered from Egypt. It says that they were delivered from Egypt, taken into the wilderness for what purpose? To worship. It's why I know, I get it, Sometimes we're not like naturally expressive people, and, and that's okay. This is, this is my perspective on this, right, in worship. You're going to dance one day. Either when you see Him in heaven or here. I would prefer that we start here. But I'm not going to put the, the pressure on you because you will dance eventually, and I guarantee you when you do dance in heaven, you'll regret that you didn't while you were here, Right? <laughs> So I've been on both sides. Sometimes I'm just like, Lord, okay, I want to focus. And I, I, I'm not for hype. So I'm not just about getting the room stoked and let's all just go nuts. I've been in environments like that, and that's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe that the more that I focus my heart and my awareness around the Lord, I begin to become more and more aware of my freedom in Christ. And that looks like something. And so there begins to become this expression in my heart. It's why I I joke all the time about David. And I go like, what does it look like to dance so violently that some garments start coming off? And then then he gets gets even more intense and goes like, oh, oh, this upsets you? This is talking to his wife, right? His wife's going like, you just disgraced Israel, disgraced yourself and embarrassed me. And he goes, this? 
He goes, I'm going to be even more indignified than this. See, there's a revelation of freedom that comes. Here's a guy, here's David, who has a revelation of God's heart, but doesn't even have the Holy Spirit inside of him. And now we have the Spirit of Jesus inside of us. The actual manifestation of the freedom of God is indwelling you. It's, he's inside of you. I, I'm just saying, and, and I, you're my family and my friends, right? So I've been in that place where it's... But I, the more that I... Hey, surf team. <laughs> Look at them all sitting in there. So cute. They're in rows. They're sitting. You guys are awesome. Thank you. I honor you guys. Legends. Um, a good word, he says. Yeah. I, I love my family, and I've been in that place, and I never want to just do things for the sake of doing things. But I know sometimes I start here, right? Even today, I start here, and, and maybe it's here, and maybe it gets there. And, and I'm, 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 but I'm seeing him. And as I'm seeing him and as I'm experiencing him and I'm not looking at myself anymore, something is happening to me because I've realized this truth. This body was given to me to communicate the reality of God. Do you understand that? This body's not going with me to heaven. So why do I have it here on the earth? It's to express and communicate the reality of God. So now in worship, I go like, Okay, like God gave me these flappy things on the side of my body, and He gave me like decently muscular legs, which gives me a bit of a, whoa, okay. And so suddenly you get a bit of this going on, right? Why? Because something's happening inside of me. I, I promise you, I promise you, hear me, I promise you, you will not be in heaven like this. I promise. Because here's the thing, it just, it just doesn't matter what you think you are personality type this, personality type that. I get it. I understand it. I, I, I get it. Not really, but I'm trying to be pastoral. <laughs> but here's the thing. It just doesn't matter because when you see him, he's so wild. He's so beautiful. See, I think we become, we've become tame in so many aspects of the church because we, we're not really hosting him. We want to host his, the benefits of him. But, but him, hosting him, that changes some stuff. It's impossible to have God, to have the Spirit of God inside of you and stay the same. It's impossible. It's just not going to happen. And so here we see Christ purchased our freedom and He redeemed us from the law. What does He mean by that? Well, the law was given to us to show us our need for Jesus. It was never God's intention for you to live under the law and obligated to, to meet that standard. That was never God's heart. If it was God's heart, why didn't He introduce the law in the garden? But He didn't. In fact, before the law came, there was a covenant with Abraham, and the covenant with Abraham was this. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Before the law even existed, God said, here's what I want. I want you to believe me, what I say about you, and that is going to be righteousness. And not your righteousness, mine. That was a covenant before the law existed. Then we see with the Israelites, they make this interesting statement, and this is the kind of law, the translation, I'm paraphrasing for you. But they make this interesting statement, kind of like, Moses, you go up and you find out what God wants. And then you come back and tell us, and we'll, we'll do that. We'll meet that standard. That was a silly thing to do, because God's like, I already have what I want. I want you. I want you to come up the mountain. I don't want you to send Moses up. I want you to come up. I want you to come into my glory. No, Moses, you go, because when we saw the glory come down on the mountain, heck no, that looks like we're going to die, right? Do you know, here's the beautiful thing about the glory of God. Without Him, you will die. No one comes face to face with God and lives. The difference is through the new covenant, you're invited. You're invited. In other words, you come before the throne of God and you go, oh my goodness, the government of His glory, read Revelation 4, and you begin to see, whoa, okay, that, that is the kind of thing where if you were to just see it, you wouldn't just go, woohoo! You wouldn't, right? You'd be like, whoa, I don't know what to do with that. But the Spirit of Jesus is leading us to that place, and He's saying you're invited, meaning you get to come in boldly, and boldly isn't familiar and casual. Boldly isn't like, hey, what's up, Jesus? How's it? And I come into the throne room and worthy is your name. What a lack of service. And now we head off. 
I'm just being real, right? That's not boldly. Boldly is, oh my goodness. I almost see it like this. Boldly is like, no matter what I do, he's just bringing me into the throne room of God. As much as I'm like, whoa, God, I don't know if I can take more. He's like, come. Boldly. Oh. And I'm getting more and more of him, wave after wave after wave of God, inside of me, upon me, around me. And suddenly I'm, oh, I'm just, I'm completely taken by him. You know what's been on my heart to preach more and more is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you why. Because what we've done, unfortunately, and there's this perpetual cycle in the church where this happens, but we begin to treat the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit like a tag on to our lives. Like it's one of the things that we've got to tick on the list of things to do when it comes to the gospel. And it's funny because there's so many examples that I see in the Word where the first thing that in the New Testament, Paul asks it when he's in Ephesus, did you receive the Holy Spirit? In Galatians, he, he even says, are you, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, are you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians? Who has bewitched you that, uh, that you would act like this to whom right before your eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified as crucified in the gospel message? This is all I want to ask of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as the result of obeying the law? Or was it the result of hearing the message of salvation with faith and believing it. They ask this question, and you see Paul, he's really intentional about the fact that do you have the Holy Spirit? Because there is no point in you taking anything that I'm about to say unless you have Him. Because you can get the information and go and try and work it out in your head, and, and, and it's just not going to produce any fruit. And so what we have now is a group of Christians that because they felt something touch their body, they think they've been filled. And so they had a touch. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit because, you know, to receive Him, you actually have to let Him occupy. I can come into the environment of the presence of God and be touched by the environment and not receive God. To receive Him means occupy me. I'm yours. I lay everything down. That's, what it, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Think about baptism of water. You, you, you wade into the water, right? And then the pastor, whoever is with you go under the water, completely submerged till the bubbles stop, right? <laughs> That's how we should do it. Wait until there's like one more bubble, then just prickly. <laughs> but you go underwater, right? Completely submerged. Meaning, you are now in the water, completely drenched, covered, submerged. Right? When you come out, you're drenched, you're wet, your whole body has been affected by this thing. Bill Johnson has a beautiful uh, example where he says, if you take a, like a, a bottle, a, a glass bottle, and you fill it with water, that's what happens when you get saved. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now take that bottle and throw it in the ocean. That's when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's in you. Now you're in Him, completely submerged, and you're under His control, His currents, His flow, whatever He wants to do. You get what I'm saying? So if you think about baptism in water, it's the same thing, except this time it's with the very Spirit of God, with the fire of heaven. You get submerged into Him. He fills you, occupies you, possesses you, and when you come out the water, He is now in full control of your life. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just... I got touched and, you know, people say because I speak in tongues, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, tongues is an expression of it. It's a gift. But tongues doesn't mean baptized. Because the reality is what happens is we've got Christians who, they get saved, they're excited and pumped up, they get baptized, and yes, now they've made a public declaration that that guy is dead, I'm a new creation in Christ, now I want to live this new life. How long does it last? Because the reality is it's only going to actually uh, continue and be sustainable if it's Christ in you. If it's your attempt to be like Christ, give it about six months and you'll be depressed, anxious, and upset again and wondering, did it really happen? Uh, you know, did I really encounter God? But when you receive the Holy Spirit, you begin to walk in power. And it's not because you did something to get that power. It's because you received it. 
God wants to see a powerful church. He wants to use you to see the world transformed with the kingdom of heaven, with the good news of the gospel. But it's not because you did anything to earn it. It's because you've received the spirit of Jesus and he's become Lord of your life. And now because he's Lord, he gets to choose. (laughs) It's interesting that in verse 14 says, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would all receive the realization of the promise of what? The Holy Spirit through what? Faith. So God says, actually, God's desire is that through Christ, the covenant that He made with Abraham would now be fully realized in us, which is that all you got to do is believe in who I am, believe in the finished work of the cross, believe in who I say that you are, and it will be credited to you as righteousness. That's the good news. That's why Paul writes in Romans 6, it should be so wild to us that we go, what does that mean then, that I should just keep sinning? And he asks that question twice in one chapter. It's just so good. It should blow you. You should wake up every day, and this should be where your heart's postured, like, no way. God, thank you. I woke up today and I'm right with God. I haven't done anything. I, didn't, I, haven't done, I haven't even been obedient yet. Mercy woke me up, got me out of bed, and I'm like, I'm right with God. He's here. He loves me. He's, right. he's literally, as I wake up, he's like, good morning. Let's go change the world. Good morning. I want to touch you. I want to minister to you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to hold you. I want to be one with you. See, even while you're resting, Holy Spirit's on you, upon you, breathing over you, teaching you, molding you, speaking to your heart, speaking to your mind. And you go like, sure, well, that doesn't, I didn't, it doesn't really feel like that. Yeah, that's because your mind is so busy and occupied by everything else that you don't even know when he's in the room. I felt it today in the worship. We were enthroning Jesus, freedom, God was ministering, and then, and then I felt something shift and we got into a rush. <laughs> Worthy is your name, Jesus, you deserve the praise. It wasn't the music. I felt in the spirit. Our hearts were like, okay, 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 we've got to worship God. Keep enthroning him, keep enthroning him. And Holy Spirit's like, whoa, slow down. I'm right here. Rest. Receive me. Look at me. I love you. I'm talking to you right now. Can you hear me? It blows my mind that Jesus comes to the earth as a man and models something for us, and he gets baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets baptized in water. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? He's God. I'll tell you for what purpose. To model something to us of what he's given birth to. He's saying, this is what I've created you to walk in. I'm actually showing you that I want you to die to yourself, make a public declaration so that everyone knows that Connor Blair Lawther, as he used to be outside of God, is dead. And now it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now it's kind of Blair Lauder, the unique expression of Christ in me, the hope of glory. But then he says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can do the things that I did, but even greater than this. Not just a few gifted people, the church, the bride of Christ, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with God, doing the things of the kingdom. This should blow your mind. <laughs> right? That God's design is he, he gives us the blessing of Abraham, which was the righteousness of God through faith. That covenant, He wants every single one of us to come into that. For what purpose? So that we would receive the full realization of the promise, which is what? The Holy Spirit through faith. That by believing in Him, by believing that Jesus, that the Father, wants to give me His Spirit. I don't have to prove myself to God to get it. I don't have to earn it or achieve it. I just have to receive Him by faith. And allow Him to become Lord of my life, and He will change absolutely everything. The reason why so many people in the church today are still stuck in bondage and addiction is because they do not know the Holy Spirit. And that's not a heavy. It just means it's an invitation. God's going like, hey, I'm here. I'm in love with you. Do you think that the Spirit of God comes into a person and leaves them stuck? That's why I said this morning, the line of the tribe of Judah, look into that face and then tell me you're going to walk away from that the same. No way, right? No way. Does the Spirit of God possess a man and leave him stuck in bondage and addiction? No way. 
So why do we stay stuck in those things? Because the reality is, what are we believing about the gospel? What are we believing about the free gift of God, His righteousness, that we've become the righteousness of Christ? How do you know you're in faith? How do you know you're in faith? Are you thanking Him? What are you thanking Him for? Because when you thank Him for something that you might not feel is your current reality, it shows that you're in faith for something that God's given you. Are you catching what I'm saying? Do you know what's interesting? I don't know where this happened, and in, in, I suppose it happened at the fall. Why is it that we love legalism so much? Why do we like it so much? We, well, we, we like... I, I, it's interesting to me that the human nature is like, I'm moved when somebody gets up there and tells me to get up here and confess my sin. It tugs on my heart. But get up here and tell you that you're righteous for, for nothing that you've done but just because He loves you, which is the greatest news you'll ever hear in your life. And the first thing we do is, are you sure? It rocks me, man. And I do this. You wake up, you have a bad day, and you've decided in your heart that it's not a good day. You decided, right? You measured your day by how you feel about it. It's been a bad day. It's been a rough day. I don't feel so good. I'm far from God today. What an insult to the cross. Because by the blood of Jesus, you've been brought near. And God is not... You're walking around telling yourself you're disconnected from God, and He's one with you in your body, walking around with you, going like, Really? The grace of God is the most incredible news because what it does is it gives you something you'd never deserved, never could earn. It gives it to you, gives you free access, and not only that, strengthens you to walk in it. It's why we've got to preach the grace of God. It's why we've got to preach the gospel. It's why we've got to realize we've been set free from the law. The law is not evil. The law is the nature of God that we could never meet in our own effort. It was our tutor. It was like looking in a mirror and going, I'm not that. I'm never going to achieve something. I'm never going to be perfect in my own strength. I'm looking at the law and I'm saying, there's only one found worthy. His name's Jesus. We need Jesus. I'll never be that. And God says, thank you. Now I'm going to teach you something about covenant. Because you can't be that, a sacrifice needs to be made. And God takes mankind on a journey of teaching them about a substitutional sacrifice. It starts off with bulls and goats and doves and stuff like that, right? Every year, come and bring an offering, and that offering, sacrifice, covers your sin so that you can keep living. And he's teaching man. Why? Because if he just introduced a, a, a substitutional sacrifice, Christ Jesus, right there from the beginning, we would have no idea what the heck that even means. He takes man on this journey. He says, let me teach you about covenant. Covenant requires death. Requires blood. So what happens? Our substitutionary lamb, our substitute, takes our place, is the sacrifice once and for all that we would be right with God for all of eternity. Do you know that on the other side of our legalistic mannerisms and the things that we do out of legalism when we've decided we're far from God, on the other side of that conversation is a father going like, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're righteous, I love you, come closer. On the other side of us crying out and begging God to forgive us is a God going like 2,000 years ago. I hung on that cross and I forgave you. Past, present, future, once and for all. Why is, why is forgiveness such a powerful thing? It keeps your heart free. It has nothing to do with getting God closer to you. Unforgiveness has nothing to do with you and God and how close you and God are. What are you saying? You want him to get back up on the cross and die again? God, would you forgive me for this sin? Get back up on that cross. It wasn't enough. Come on. No, when I'm asking for forgiveness or I'm in that place of forgiving myself, forgiving others, you know what I'm doing? I'm freeing my heart by receiving the finished work of the cross and saying, I've been forgiven much, I can forgive others. I can forgive myself because God doesn't hold this against me. And then what I do is instead of begging God for forgiveness, I thank Him that He has forgiven me. That you forgave me, that you've given me your righteousness. God, you gave me something that I want to walk in and it's only by the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled again and again and again daily. My life should be orientated, when we talk about a priestly rhythm of life, we're talking about a life of being filled by Him, individually, corporately, together, in the house, in the nations, in our homes. And it's those kind of people that are true revivalists, because everywhere you go, you bring the dead things back to life. Why? Because you carry the good news of the gospel. 
I'm so tired of, of hearing from the pulpit this message, this get your act together message. It breaks my heart. I'm like, you never will. And this is why we're stuck in this perpetual cycle. Get your act together. Have you repented? Have you confessed your sin? Have you, have you assessed your life recently? Whereabouts are you with God? Man, you don't even need, I don't need to say that from the pulpit. You do that naturally. It's why there's so much depression and anxiety in the world. I don't need to get up here and tell you, you're a professional at looking at the law. Otherwise, how, how, what's a bad day? All of it is rooted in what you're measuring yourself to. But when Christ in you is the standard, when it's Jesus, we're truly free. So God has this promise for us, and it's, it's this covenant of grace. It's this covenant of the righteousness of Christ given to us through Him. And it's the Holy Spirit that we receive through faith who enables us to live the Christian life. Oh my goodness. I can't even, I say that. I'm like, my, my spirit man starts to bubble up. I'm going, no way, God. I don't even know how to preach this anymore. Because I feel like I repeat myself over and over again. I'm going like, I need to say it again. It needs to get in my head. It needs to get in my heart. It needs to get in my soul. There's a problem if we hear the gospel and two weeks later we're still stuck. It's a problem if we're, if, what, what are you hearing? What are you receiving? What are you believing if you're still stuck? Up and down, up and down. Well, this is the Christian life, highs and lows. And if I'm close to God, I'm good. And if I'm far from God, I'm bad. And it's all me because I need to actually make sure that I'm close to God. What gospel is this? Where do we find this stuff? It's not even the gospel. I've, I've sit in environments where, you know what's, what's amazing? This is what I love about the grace of God. The grace of God makes us freak out because it will offend every religious bone in your body, right? I promise you it will. I love this. I read the Bible and I'm like, oh my goodness, there it is again. I'm offended. And you know, I said this before. Offense is just undealt with conviction. The grace of God is going to convict you of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. If Jesus dealt with sin, if he died on the cross, took all your sins away, why would he still want to convict you of it? And you say, but the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. Yeah, well, what sin is that? Unbelief? William Branham said it like this. The things that we call sin, they're all just fruit of one sin. Unbelief. Why, do you, why are you stuck in pornography? Why are you drinking? Why are you stuck in all these different things? One simple thing. You don't believe who you are in Christ. That's it. So, what is, so Holy Spirit comes, if He's going to convict you of sin, what is it? What is He talking about? Unbelief. In other words, He wants to lead you to the Father. That's why conviction comes. Do you think it's in the nature of God to convict you, to show you how bad you are? What was the point of the cross? Right? This is the gospel. And Paul's, Paul's writing this in, in the beginning of chapter 3. I read it to you. He's going like, let me just ask you guys a question. In fact, he says to them, oh, you foolish, thoughtless, and superficial Galatians. He's going like, did you not receive the Holy Spirit by faith? Like it, when you got Holy Spirit, you didn't get the Holy Spirit because you managed to fulfill 10 commandments and 613 laws and you got every single one of them right. Because if you miss one, you miss them all, right? Like let's just make sure we know that. It's not just 10 commandments. It's 613 laws. You think you can do that? Every day, nonstop, and never mess up in one of those things? Not a chance. So why would God put that in place and say you need to meet that? No ways. It, you know what, what scares me? The most poisonous thing in the church is when we preach a message that's a mixture of law and grace. And the, the reality is I know there's been people who said the law is evil and bad and whatever. Garbage. The law is holy. The law is the standard. Here's the thing. Now through Jesus, that law has been written on your hearts and your minds. Now you're going to become that, not by your own strength, because the Spirit of Christ is in you, meaning the law is actually in you now. And it's going to be lived instead of a standard that you try to achieve. Because we were talking about, my wife and I were talking about this earlier. When we got saved, I honestly, my personality changed and my desires and my appetites changed. My desires changed. We were talking about this, going like, it was this journey of realizing more and more that I don't want to do the things that I used to want to do. That I, didn't, I didn't do that. Who did that? It's the Spirit of Jesus inside of me. But he says to them, you didn't receive the Holy Spirit by the law. You received the Holy Spirit by faith.
in chapter 5. It's interesting. Uh, chapter 5, verse... Well, let me read verse 7 quickly to you. Listen to this. You were running the race well. Who has interfered and prevented you from obeying the truth? He's talking about grace and law, right? This deceptive persuasion is not from Him who called you to freedom in Christ. A little leaven leavens the whole batch. The Amplified says it perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church. Do you know that the law doesn't require faith? It requires work. I don't know if you're hearing me this morning. I'll try this side until you guys get stoked. I'm sure. I've always wanted to do that. The room's too small, you know, it's like I'm still technically on this side. But here's the thing. The law doesn't require faith. Think about that. The law does not require faith. When God gives you the law, what, what, faith, what faith journey is He asking you for? He's not asking for a faith journey. He's saying, do it. You can't. So how can that be God's heart for you? It's not. So he says the law was not there. For, the law is not the way for you to come to Christ. The law is to show you that you need him. And then by faith you receive him. And when you receive him, you're transformed. Come on, we need to get this. So he, he says this. Now jump to verse 13. For you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Here we go. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature. Oh, there we go. Now let's go there. Connor, you're a grace preacher. You're just this hyper-grace preacher who wants to talk about grace, 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 and it's all okay and nothing. You know, sin doesn't matter. Absolutely, I'm every single thing that you just told me I am. But guess what that means? I'm a hyper-grace preacher. I'll preach grace till I'm blue in the face. I will preach grace until the last breath leaves my body. Why? Because it's the gospel. But here's the thing about the grace of God. There's not a single person on the planet who truly received the gospel of His grace and continue to live in sin. It's just impossible. Why? Listen, you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness, selfishness. But through love, serve and seek the best for one another. This is what the grace of God does. This is what the Spirit of Jesus is going to do inside of you. For the whole law is fulfilled in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 16. Now listen to this. But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. I love the Amplified. You guys need Amplified Bibles, okay? It says this, Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Make a habit out of walking in Him. You get me? What does that mean? Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. Seek Him. What does that mean? Look for Him. Be aware of Him. Where is He? What is He doing? What does He want? What is He saying? Seek Him. Time with Him. Intimacy with Him. And be responsive to his guidance. That when he says, do this, I do this. Why? He's Lord. He's filled me. Listen to this. Seek him and be responsive to his guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without reg uh, regard for God. There's two natures, the sin nature and Christ's nature. And you've received the nature of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And sin is this evil force that is operating against you. And the thing is, we've got to stop treating it like it's ours. Yeah. Romans 6 makes it very clear that you've been set free from sin and that we are no longer under its lusts and desires. It's, not yours, it's. Sin is not your nature. You were not created with a sinful nature. After the fall, you were, yes, born into sin, but the reality is the way God designed you was not to live in sin, was not to have a sinful nature. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, when you seek the Holy Spirit, when you walk in Him, when you're responsive to His guidance, sin dies. It has no hold over you. It has no rule or reign, no lordship over your life. Why? Because you're fully given to Him. You're being responsive to the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian life. For the sinful nature has its desire, which is opposed to the Spirit. And the desire of the Spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the Spirit, are in direct opposition to each other, continually in conflict, so that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do. Now he's explaining, he's saying, if you don't handle this right, you understand that the sinful nature is at war with your spirit man. And this is why if you read in Romans 7, it's like if you're under the law and you're trying to do it in your own strength, you do the things that you don't want to do and you don't do the things that you do want to do, which means something very interesting. You actually want to do the right thing. 
Because you don't do the things that you do want to do. I don't know about you, I read that, I get stoked because I'm like, I'm a good guy. God made me a good guy. He gave me a good heart. I actually want to do, see, oh man, there's more scriptures in Galatians. Do you know that Galatians actually talks about how the law produced sin in you? I don't know if you're getting this, man. I, I hope this is hitting home. The law produced sin in you. How is that possible? Because what happened is, when, before the law was there, we didn't really know what, 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 all, what was sin? What was, how did I know? Um, maybe the big things I could understand, but the little things, how do I don't know that's sin? So the law comes and goes, hey, let me just show you, without me, this is what you are. And you look and you go, oh. <laughs> so he's saying, we're not created for that Romans 7 place of, I'm trying to do this myself and I'm not doing the things that I desire to do. I want to be, I want to walk like God's called me to walk, but I'm not doing those things. And then the things that I do want to do, well, the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing those things. It's like, I didn't want to go and do all that stuff. I don't want to be, I don't want to look at that thing. I didn't want to say that to my wife. I didn't want to, right? And, I'm, and now I'm stuck in this place of just not being who God's called me to be. And, and then I love Romans 8. Thank, thanks be to God. Why? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So he's going like, hey, let me just take the guilt off of you. You can't do it. Stop it. Give it to me. Now guess what I'm going to give you? The Spirit. And it's the Spirit that's going to set you free to be who I've called you to be. It's the Spirit who's going to enable you to do what I've called you to do. You get what I'm saying? Verse 18, if you are guided and led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the practices of the sinful nature are clearly evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Sensuality is total irresponsibility and lack of self-control. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions that promote heresies, envy, drunkenness, righteous behavior, riotous behavior, and other things like this. I warned you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is he saying? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying you can't be saved. He said you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's the rule, the dominion, the reign of God in your life and the world around you. Now, verse 22. The one that's on your fridge, probably. <laughs> the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience. It's like this little, little wimpy Christianity. Right? We should teach that scripture in the context of this book. It's in the context of grace and law. Listen to the other way. <laughs> Listen to the way the Amplified says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of His presence within us. Ooh, David's tabernacle. The result of the presence of God inside of you. When we learn to host the presence of God, His presence inside of us, guess what happens? It doesn't say the result of you trying to obey Him. didn't say that. It said the result of His presence within us. Why? Because when the Spirit of God, the presence, the face of God is inside of you and He's Lord of your life, this is what He will produce every time, day in and day out, no matter what. Whether you're tired, whether you're excited, whether you're stoked, whether it's a difficult day, whatever's going on, this is what's going to come out. If you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice, right? If you squeeze a Christian, what are you going to get? Come on, Right? So why is it that when the world's squeezing the church, what's coming out is all this worldly junk? Come on. It should be Jesus. COVID comes. Squeeze the church. Guess what you're getting all over you, buddy? Jesus. People are going to get healed, set free, delivered. People are going to get loved. This is the kind of people who the, the economy can crash, right? And I'm going I'm to change this because what you're expecting me to say is the economy can crash and you are still just thriving and succeeding with all your cash. No, the economy can crash and you can lose everything and guess what you're still doing? Loving people, blessing people, praying for people. God's my source. He's the one who's looking after me. Right? Not one time have I ever trusted God and He's never provided. Not one time. But that's never been the emphasis of the gospel. 
The emphasis of the gospel is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Because the reality is, when I read my New Testament, there's more examples of suffering than there are of prosperity. And yet, in the examples of suffering, you see them what? Magnifying Jesus, exalting Jesus, representing Jesus. Paul was whipped and beaten and stoned and imprisoned and all these things. And he's sitting in the prison at midnight with Silas. And what are they doing? They're worshiping Jesus. And the power of God is evident in their lives. If I'm seeking a prosperity message, what, where's the power? Well, there is no power because you're seeking prosperity instead of seeking Jesus. Seek Jesus and you'll see the power of God. Do you know that it's by nature? I hope, man, I'm trying to communicate this today and I hope you're catching it. It's by nature in Christ that you have His power. I don't think you caught what I'm saying. Because if you catch this, when you leave here, every person that you see with an injury that's sick or that's like, you're just going to be like, come here, Jesus loves you. Right? And it's not even about me. The reality is I've realized sometimes you come and you pray for the person and nothing happens and you think like, well, it didn't work. Right? Well, I'm sorry, you just put yourself back under the law. You didn't achieve a result and so now you measured yourself by the result and you're back under guilt, shame, condemnation. What happened? No, the reality is my job is to be obedient to release Jesus and I'm becoming more and more like Him through the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what happens when that person goes home that night. Do you know how many times I've prayed for people and nothing happened in the room and the next day or two days later they phone and say, hey, it's gone. There's supernatural times when it happens like right there, like, in, like recently in the room. Or, and there's other times we go, but it's God. My job is to release Him. My jo- See, this is the thing. I said this a couple of weeks ago. The glory of God is inside of you and He restrains Himself. His name is Holy Spirit. He's the glory of God. He's inside of you and he restrains himself, otherwise you would explode, right? You'd be dead. You'd be obliterated. I'm just being serious. And if you don't believe me, it's because you've become Lord of your life instead of him being Lord of your life. You would obliterate, but you don't. So he's inside of you, restraining himself, waiting for your yes. And when you say yes and you partner with him, he can release himself to flow through your life. God has decided, he has chosen by his sovereign wisdom to use mankind as the vessel through which he wants to change the world. He has decided that he's going to use his sons and daughters as his hands and feet. He could come and do it by himself, but he didn't because he's in love with you. He's in love with you. This gets me excited. I don't have to be extroverted to to go and pray for somebody because it's not the extrovert thing that's driving me. It's the fact that God's excited to go with me to that person and share His love with them. And even if they don't get healed, guess what they're coming away with? Ah, man. But the fruit of the Spirit. Of the what? Not of you. Of the Spirit. The result of His presence within us is love, joy, peace, patience. Listen to this. Not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then there's this word self-control. And the majority of these translations got that word wrong. Because when you study it, it's not self-control. It's lordship. Go study it. It's lordship. Self-control. Because it's funny, like, the Holy Spirit's going to produce in you, what? The need to try and control yourself. But I thought you were under His lordship. So we try to find the best English word to, to describe that sense of, uh, it, it's, a, it's a control, it's a, your life is going to now be under control. But it's not your control. Are you getting this? It's not your control. It's the control of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, He just completely contradicted everything you just said. It's lordship. What he's going to produce in your heart is that your life is now controlled by the Lordship of Jesus, meaning you're not going to go into all those other things because now you're walking in him. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? Oh, and those who belong to Jesus, oh, come on, have crucified the sinful nature together with it. It. It's not yours. Passions and appetites. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, ooh, here's a good one. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit. Our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit. That says it as it is. 
<laughs> so much. Real quick, Galatians 3, 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union with the Christ the anointed, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Guess what the Amplified says? That is, you have taken on His characteristics and values. I don't know if, if you're hearing me this morning. This is not of your own doing. This is what you've become in Christ. This is not something you have to prove. This is something you have to receive by faith. And when you receive it by faith, the result of the Spirit of Jesus inside of you is going to produce this. Galatians 5.1, it was for this freedom that Christ set us free. Go and read the, the end of Galatians 4 to understand this. It was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, which you once removed. You are not a slave to the law. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. And you go, what the heck does this have to do with David's tabernacle? Everything, because the way that God is teaching us to host His presence is by the Spirit of God in us. This message liberates us. It liberates us from our own efforts. But you've got to allow yourself to get past the offense of the fact that yeah, you actually can't do it. It's called pride. You know, if you, if you want the, the most simple description between pride and humility, just look at the garden. It's two trees. One, tree of life, all sufficiency of God. Eat from that tree. You remain in perfect righteousness, oneness with God. You're right with God no matter what. Just eat of that tree. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's your attempt at Christ-likeness. It's your attempt at being like God. Why did the devil say to them, hey, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God? They already were. They were made in his image, eating from the tree of life, fully living in that realm with him. So what's the difference? Pride, self-dependence, humility, dependence on the Holy Spirit, which gives you confidence in Him, makes you a bold person. Humility is bold. False humility is that sense of passivity. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because God wants to minister freedom to 24-7 church. You know, I realized the story of 24-7 church is one of incredible signs and wonders, the glory of God coming into our services, just things breaking. People, we've had sessions where people couldn't stand. It was like God would just come and, and we were just finished and we'd be there for hours. And I realized that in this season, God has brought many, many new families and new people into 24-7 church who have no idea what I'm talking about. And my heart goes like, Lord, you're in love with these people. You're like, God's going like, man, if you will have an expectation for me to come in the way that I want to come, do you understand what I'm going to do? No, you don't. <laughs> Thank God we don't, because we'd probably try and box him and limit him. But he's saying, when I show up, I can do things that you can't even dream of. When I show up, I can move in power and signs and wonders. And, and there's no man that gets the glory. This is all for the Lord. We're good for another hour or so. Or? <laughs> can I ask you a question? Why did you come here today? I have to ask myself this question because I could answer that question and say, I came here because I was, I was on the roster to preach. Oh man, I'm, I am very much like you in the sense that I need the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching something today that's not something that I'm going, hey, I got this and you don't. I'm going like, do you hear the gospel? We need this, guys. So I, so I asked the question, why did we, we come here today? Did we come here because, well, church is a good idea and I'm now a part of this church and I've been put on the roster for serve team and coffee and or maybe, it's been a while since I've been to church and it'd probably be good if I show my face so that they don't think I'm a heathen, you know. Or maybe it's like, you know, I'm just so broken and just so tired and heart sore and pain. There's so much pain. I just, I need something. Would God just do something in my life? And I'm not even saying any of those reasons are wrong. I'm just saying it's not God's best for you. 
Because God's so beautiful and loving and, and merciful that you can come. I've come to church before just going like, God, I'm done. I'm just like, I need you. <laughs> and that's why I say I have no pressure on anyone like, hey, it needs to look a certain way. No, it doesn't. I'm just saying when you get to heaven, it's going to be wild. But the reality is sometimes you come in here and your heart's sore and let the Holy Spirit come and touch you. But, don't, but just make sure that's not every Sunday. If that's every Sunday, there's a problem. <laughs> you with me? If every Sunday I'm at church out of religious ritual and responsibility, I've missed the gospel. We've been talking about hosting His presence, that we come together to enthrone Him and to minister to Him. That's not a duty. Are you with me? We're not trying to produce a culture of duty in the church. We want to produce a culture of deep love and romance with God. Oh, romance. Yeah, baby. Why am I talking like that? Because all the men get so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, you know, I, I remember years ago, I got this prophetic word that I would carry the message of the bride. And she said, and you do it with tears. And I, I get quite emotional when I talk about Jesus. But she said, you do it with tears. And then she said, and I see a movement of men weeping as the bride of Christ. I'm telling you, something's coming. Because the majority of the guys that I run with in this house don't, never used to cry. If you met Matt before he was saved, the guy was a brick. Like, honestly. And now he doesn't stop crying. Like, if you listen to, the, sometimes you listen to these recordings and in the background you hear, and I'm like, it's Matt. <laughs> and sometimes it looks like exuberant joy. That's why I, I love those times when God breaks out in joy and everybody's freaking out because they're so uncomfortable because it's like, God doesn't make us laugh. <laughs> I'm like, what a lame God then, right? God doesn't make you laugh? Oh my goodness, get to know Him a little more. God's incredible. He's beautiful. He's fun. He's wild. He's wild. Man, if, if we as the church would, would catch a hold of Him again, if we would see Him again, not just see the idea of Him, see Him touch him, embrace him, feel him, receive him, then we're going to become wild. <laughs>